My name is Parker Johnson. I'm the pastor here at First Presbyterian Church in Bruton, Alabama. And at the end of the season, if you don't have a church home, we surely hope that you will come and join us. We are located at 336 Belleville Avenue in historic downtown Bruton. You can find out more about the church at our website, www.fpcbruton.org. Let's pray. So, Father, as we look at your word today, we ask that you would help us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we need you, and every day we are reminded more and more of our need for you. Lord, we pray that uh, as we face challenges and trials and fears and hardships and many uncertainties, that we would draw closer to you in this season. Lord, we do pray for our families, for our church family, for our communities. Lord, that you would um, give us endurance through this season and even joy through this trial. Lord, we pray that in all these things and in our reactions, uh, you would be glorified. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I'd like to look at another passage in Isaiah. If you've been following us online uh, through our midweek devotions, uh, we have been looking on and off at the book of Isaiah. We spent some time in Isaiah 43. I'd like to back up to Isaiah chapter 40 and look at a few verses there at the beginning of that chapter. It's important to note that before we look at it, that there is a major shift in the book of Isaiah at this point. Uh, really, chapters 1 through 39 deal with God's people and God's word to them as they continue to stray from the Lord their God. These were sermons, uh, lessons, prophecies that were given to Isaiah, uh, speaking not only to his people, especially in the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, but also uh, prophecies about the nations of what would come to them uh, if they did not heed God's call to repent. The end of Isaiah, that first section of Isaiah 1 through 39, uh, deals with an historic situation with the Assyrian invasion um, and setting up the scene for uh, God's people to go into exile into Babylon. What happened was that God's people were sent into exile uh, in Babylon because they had repeatedly turned from the Lord. Uh, it's not like God hadn't sent them prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to call them back to Him, but they had largely ignored Him. They pursued unrighteousness and wickedness. Jerusalem, rather than, than being a light for the nations as God had intended it, had become just like the nations. Indeed, there was great wickedness there. The poor were oppressed and people largely were following not after Yahweh, not after the Lord their God, but after false gods. And even those who said that they were following uh, the Lord were doing so in a way that was just outward religion. Uh, it looked good on the outside, but in their hearts they had no real love for God. In many ways, Isaiah serves as a warning uh, to all of us, especially in this season, to examine our hearts and to seek the Lord. Um, but there is a shift in Isaiah 40, and that's because it's written really to a different generation. Isaiah 40 is written to God's people uh, after Isaiah's death when they are in Babylon. Babylon came and they would um, 
sin God's people into exile because God had sent them. They were tools in His hand. In three successive waves of invasion. The final one was in 586 BC when indeed the temple itself was destroyed. Uh, there was great carnage in the city of Jerusalem as the wicked Babylonians came and wreaked havoc upon uh, God's special place and upon God's special people who had turned from Him. And so God would send His people, scatter them, largely out of the land of promise, the land of Canaan. And it was a hard time. It was a hard time of service in which God's people lived in a foreign land with a foreign religion, foreign language, foreign customs. This was not their home. They were exiles living in a foreign place. Um, and they didn't know really how it would end. God had made promises that He would eventually bring them back throughout all of the Old Testament. We see this all the way going back to Deuteronomy. But as we remember that most of these people had turned from the Lord, people had forgotten what God had said. And they deserved to be in exile. That should be remembered. God had warned them, if you turn from me, I will send the nations to carry you into exile. They deserved what they were getting. The discipline that they were receiving from the Lord's hand had been foretold and promised, if you do this, this will happen. But you know, God is a God who is always faithful to His promises. And the same passages that tell us that He would send His people into exile also tell us that when they turn to Him, that He will bring them back. And so there's this shift in Isaiah 40, really to the end of the, end of the book, in which God is promising and telling His people, all right, it's time to come home. And not only that, but looking ultimately to a grand future of the coming of the Messiah who would bring the true kingdom of God and, and even ultimately to the second coming of Christ. So think about this. Uh, put yourselves in the perspective of uh, those people living in Babylon, a ruthless place, and you begin to realize that you deserve this, and you put yourself here. And we would expect to hear God's wrath, and uh, I told you so, and you got what was coming to you. But Isaiah 40, there's a shift. Put yourselves in those shoes, and then hear these words, starting in Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What great news. So God tells um, the recipient of this prophecy to comfort his people is a command, and it's mentioned twice here at the very beginning of this whole new section of Isaiah. Comfort, comfort, not just once, but in a language in which there were no exclamation points. This would be like putting great exclamation points. Comfort, comfort, and who is he meant to comfort? My people. My people. They had not been cast off, they had not been forgotten. 
God doesn't call them a ragtag group of folks who had rebelled against him. Instead, instead he says, comfort, comfort whom? My people. Isn't it good news that if we're in Christ Jesus and that we run, that we don't lose that designation, my people? It's just like when we run or we disobeyed our parents when we were children. Was there discipline involved? Yes, absolutely, if they were good parents. But we never stopped being their children. And the relationship here is the same. Comfort, comfort my people. Who says this? Is it just a a human um, mediator, a, a human message? No. Comfort, comfort my people says your, note that possessive, your God. God has not given up on his people. My people, says your God. In a land and living in the land of Babylon in which there were so many different false gods, the one true God, not only of Israel, the one true God of all the nations, of all the cosmos, of all the universe, had not forgotten his special people. Verse 2 says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Uh, You know, we can really take this two ways. Uh, One, we can think of Jerusalem standing in for God's people, right? That, That Jerusalem contained God's people, just like we might say something to Bruton. We are not saying something to the Municip- uh, um, the city, rather, the municipality of Bruton, but of its people. And so we might say <clears throat> that this refers to God's people. as It, it is uh, in parallel with that word, my people, in verse 1. And so it is to God's people, those who would have been contained in Jerusalem of old, that this message comes. But But also, I really think a case we made that this is speaking to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was God's city. It was a place of of the special presence of God. Throughout the Old Testament prophets, we see God telling his people, uh, look, you, you can't treat my land like this. This is my land, and you live here. You can't treat it like that. And Jerusalem had been treated very, very poorly instead of being a place of righteousness. Instead of the city enjoying peace, it had been a place of the shed of blood, of um, oppressing the poor. But now she had been cleansed. Now she has gone through that season of cleansing in which the great perpetrators had been sent out of the land, and many had died in the invasion, and a new season was coming. Well, either way we take it, it really means the same thing as God speaks out to his people. He says, speak tenderly to them, to Jerusalem, and cry to her that her warfare <clears throat> excuse me, is ended, and that her iniquity is pardoned that she has received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You know, it's important that we read these words, speak tenderly. Um, You know, it's tough when we discipline our children or our grandchildren to speak tenderly to them, isn't it? Uh, You know, especially when they know it's coming 
and they expect wrath, and they expect us to yell. But when we respond in tenderness because of our love for them, it really impacts them more. God's people were scared. They were living in a place of of great terror, away from God's place, away from God's temple that had been destroyed. And God's word to them is of comfort and speaking tenderly to them, to their heart, encouraging them as a father who loves his children. I'm reminded of Psalm 103. um, It says, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards those who fear him. Isn't that great news? Well, what is uh, the prophet meant to cry to her? One, that we see three things in this verse. One, that her warfare is ended. Now, this term warfare is, is a hard word to translate. In fact, if you notice at the bottom of many uh, Bibles, certainly in the ESV, which is what I'm using, there's a little footnote, and it says time of service. Um, that her time of service, that her hard time of service, uh, that the time in which she had been engaged, uh, that, that has come to an end. It has been a real hard time of service. God told his people, look, if you keep disobeying me, if you keep uh, uh, not heeding the words of the prophets, I will send you into a time of hard service, of living in a foreign land, under foreign rule, under foreign oppression. But now, now that time has come to an end. The time of discipline had come to an end for God's people. You know, there is a difference between punishment and discipline, and that's an important one that we remember as believers. Punishment is meant to to mete out a pound of flesh. It has no redemptive purposes. It is meant to cause the person to suffer uh, justly, good punishment, just punishment, to suffer for what they have done. But that's not what is in view here. God had sent his people into exile for discipline. Discipline is what you do to those whom you love, and it is intended to draw them closer and back to you to correct their behavior. And this season, this season had ended of discipline. Her time had ended of discipline. It's kind of like when you send your children to, uh, to their rooms. You don't send them there forever. You send them for a time, for a season. I know it helps us to, uh, to turn the, uh, the timer on the oven so we actually remember to go and get our children. But God has, is sending for his people again to come back to Jerusalem. <clears throat> the, first, the second thing we see here in verse 2, that uh, the prophet is meant to cry to Jerusalem, to God's people, is that her iniquity is pardoned that her iniquity is pardoned. Um, You know, any time that there's discipline, it's important to deal with the sin itself. Uh, And her iniquity, those things which had caused God to send her into exile, that iniquity, that transgression, those sins had been pardoned, had been forgiven. Um, You know, and this is really tied to the third thing that the prophet is to cry that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Now, at first, um, at first glance, <clears throat> it would seem that this text is saying 
that God's people in Babylon, in exile, have paid for their sins, has satisfied God's uh, requirement. Uh, For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. But if we look at this more closely and we look at this word double, what does she receive double of? What does she receive double of? Well, it can't be that she has received enough punishment to now pay for the things that she has done. We know that because salvation is not by works. Salvation is not something that we can earn by paying off our sins. That is the problem. We are the problem. Even as we think of the punishment of hell where people will pay for their sins, those who have not received the forgiveness of Christ, they never pay, they never satisfy the demands of God's justice. That's why hell is, one of the reasons why hell is eternal. They can never fully pay for their sins. Nor could we. None of us could pay for our sins. What has God's people received from his hands? I like what one commentator says. In fact, I've doodled it into the side of my, my Bible here that, he, that they have received double of God's grace for all of their sins. That their time of warfare, their time of service has ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. Right? God has forgiven what they have done against Him. And that their time uh, is now over. There's nothing else to give. Well, how does this text point us to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I think many ways. One thing Uh, All of God's people in the Old Testament and New have been saved by the shedding of Christ's blood. The sacrificial system wasn't even really up and running at this point in, in Isaiah because the temple had been destroyed. And so they were also very aware that it was not the blood of bulls and goats that atoned for their sins as we learn in Hebrews. We know, especially living on this side of Calvary, that we have been forgiven not because of things we've done, not by um, obeying God's law, but because of the gracious love and mercy of God. How is our iniquity pardoned? Well, I think we really can interpret that that third part in verse 2 if we think about Jesus, that that he has received from the Lord's hands double for all our sins. All All that we deserved, our Savior received upon the cross as God's wrath was poured out upon him so that, so that we might be forgiven. Why? Because we are his people. And so there's great word of comfort to us. The call of salvation is you cannot do this. You cannot save yourself. We are destined for hell. But, my friends, there is Comfort. There is great comfort. Because that which we could not do has been fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. But two, I think there is comfort here for the particular time in which we live. You know, we are living in a time of of need of comfort. Uh, You know, I've, I've noticed that when I call folks to check on them or um, touch base with folks to talk about things, that people are much more eager to talk. 
people are much more eager to actually have a real conversation right now. Why is that? Well, one, we're scared. But two, we have had to socially isolate ourselves from others, and we have been, uh, we have lost a lot of that um, comfort that comes as meeting as God's people. We often look for comfort in all the wrong places, don't we? Where are you looking for comfort right now? To what are you looking for comfort? Is it just enough knowledge, enough news of the situation that, that we can have a handle of what's going on? Or, or perhaps something more destructive? Something like things you shouldn't be looking at on the internet? Or drinking a little too much right now? Or gossiping? Or saying things on Facebook you shouldn't? I don't know the... Applications are myriad here. What is it for you that you're looking for comfort? Ultimately, the true comfort we have comes from the very promises of these first two verses. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Did you know that you are one of God's people if, uh, if you are in Christ Jesus? You know, I love those verses of, of Psalm 100. Do you remember that, that psalm? It says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Sheep are some pretty stupid animals. And it's not always kind when Scripture compares us to, uh, to sheep. But we are sheep. And we are sheep who not only have needed a shepherd, but who have a shepherd now. The true shepherd has come, and he has received double. He has received all that, that we deserve for our sins. The very shepherd of God is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of his people. And now this shepherd walks with us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, next week, we will look at the next few verses in Isaiah chapter 40, which talk about preparing the way of the Lord and making straight in the desert a highway for our God. We'll look at that in the context of Easter. Remember this week, this Sunday, is Palm Sunday, where we celebrate the coming of Christ into Jerusalem as the triumphant King. Next week is Holy Week. Normally, we would gather as God's people, to worship together in our community and be reminded daily at noon of what He has done for us. But I would encourage you between now and Easter, 10 days away, that you would be reminded of God's love for you and the cost of our salvation. Even as we look forward to that great news of the empty tomb, the empty grave, which proves for all of history, for all of eternity, that our iniquity is pardoned. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.